Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hello, and welcome to this special second Woodworking in America 2016 Five Questions Edition. In this episode, we'll do the five questions recorded live at Woodworking in America with Caleb James, Bill Rainford, and Tony Rillo. They were wonderful to chat with, and I hope you enjoy. Caleb, I really appreciate your coming on with us. That was a fantastic class on Danish Modern. Thanks. Um, fits well within my boathouse in terms of what I like aesthetically and, and to make, so I would highly recommend anybody. We, I'm... I'm already getting off track of these questions. You talked about it in the class, but you don't personally have anything out there for Danish Modern, do you? Uh, blog posts, but... As far as, like, furniture that, that I make? As far as instruction, I guess, I would say. Um, um, well, the first instruction that I put out on Danish Modern would have been uh, a YouTube uh, okay. video that I put up uh, maybe about three years ago. And... Um, it was for uh, weaving uh, a Hans Wegner style chair seat out of Danish cord. So basically, it's a rush pattern um, seat, you know, like you would with the bull rush, uh, but it's uh, woven with the Danish cord, and they have a different kind of approach to to weaving the seat. So I um, I hadn't seen anything like that, um, and I'd been doing the Danish cord maybe a, a couple of years at that point, and I decided to post a video on it. And you know? for that style of furniture, that's got a very important technique. So that's right. going to be really helpful for somebody who wants to do it, I would think. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, because it's, it's, it's the same pattern as, as rush, um, as a, as a rush weave, but there's a different technique in being able to get the parts to lay together nice okay. and cleanly. It really is the most difficult seat material to weave in that pattern so um you know i got to a point and i realized uh, well you know you're used to being able to find a video on anything on youtube and nobody was doing it and you know i came to this point i said well well, maybe i should put a video (laughs) together and i shot it and i put it up and um so i've I've gotten a lot of traction off of that uh you know over the years one of of the probably the bigger hits on Mm -hmm. on youtube excellent i'm I'm certainly gonna check it out myself when i get out of this class yeah and and i tried to edit it down so it's only about 45 minutes long even though it probably takes you about you know two two and a half hours to weave a seat. Such is woodworking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I try to keep it simple. Let me actually get into the questions now. Uh, First question we ask everybody is, how did you get into woodworking? Well, my my dad was a framer by trade, so he framed homes. Um, So I was exposed to, you know, the building industry at at a young age. But as far as uh, woodworking from, you know, maybe the, the closest thing to furniture, I guess I should say my, you know, my dad did have like old tools, like, you know, a hand plane. I remember, you know, shavings, mm-hmm. you know, in the shop. So he would use them, uh, brace and bit. I remember as a kid pulling the brace and bit down and drilling holes, stuff like that. But, uh, when I was in the seventh grade, took a shop class, uh, built a stool out of cherry cutoffs. You know, I think there was a local cabinet shop and they would bring in all their nice cutoffs cool. and, and we would get to make uh, stuff out of it. I made a stool, you know, uh, got to use a, a joiner, you know, power joiner and, um, uh, use a belt sander, use a, uh, a router, uh, you know, a powered router. So uh, not really any hand tools in the class, but, you know, your typical thing you would have expected right. at, at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that translated into doing it 
Yeah, you do it full time now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, other things are surrounded with woodworking, but yeah. So I, I had another business. Uh, you know, basically when I became an adult, you know, I got married, I bought a home. Kind of the, the typical process that people go through. Uh, you know, you're looking at the furniture and, and you're thinking to yourself, um, "Why? Well, you know, I, I could build that. I think I could make that. Why am I going to spend that on that? And I bet I could make it." And so I started piecing things together. You know, I bought a a, a little you know a tabletop you know table saw, a little cheap Black and Decker one from a from a yard sale or whatever. And so I just started making a few pieces and then I kind of stepped back and said, you know, I, I don't really think this is probably the right way to go about it. So I okay. tried to investigate a little bit and learn some of the process. You were in- interested in it. You just, you didn't feel confident that you were going through the process correctly. It wasn't that you didn't want to do it. It was, you wanted to know how to do it properly. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I knew a guy who worked at a cabinet shop okay. and I remember showing him an end table that I had <laughs> made, you know, and I remember the look on his face was kind of like, he didn't want to tell me, like, man, this is pretty crude, you know. So that little look told me, you know, I, I should learn how to do this because I think I could do it better. Okay. And, you know, I'm just building out of pine, stuff you buy at Home Depot right. and, and you know, whatever, you know, your, your store is of choice. And um, so, yeah, just do a little investigation. I could, you know, that was probably around 2005. Uh, uh, no, it would have been before that, maybe even around 2003. And... So like I said, you know, just made a few pieces for the home and then I, you know, I got serious. Uh, a, a cabinet shop was closing down and I kind of caught wind of it, went over to the place. Uh, you know, sort of a sad story, but I'm, I'm glad it turned into something uh, that I have been able to carry on. But the guy had had a heart attack. Oh. And so he was selling out all his tools. You know, he just had to pay off bills and stuff. So, you know, I, I bought a nice cabinet saw from him and some tools. So I took him home. And, and I thought, well, if I have these nice pieces of equipment, I really should know what I'm doing. Okay. You know, uh, I think I bought a book or two, probably something from fine woodworking. You know, I was interested in shaker furniture. That's what caught my eye. Something Christian Bexford. Yeah. Chris, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I realized one day I just actually missed Met Christian Beck's fork. Uh, He's a wonderful, sweet guy. Yeah, yeah, really, really nice guy. Just up at the Lee Nielsen hand tool event there in Maine. And, you know, I couldn't help but say, you know, uh, I said, you know, you're pretty much the reason why I started doing woodworking, you know. And uh, at one point, I, you know, you'd buy a fine woodworking article. And uh, after you get a handful of them, I realized, hey, all these articles are written by <laughs> the same guy. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And so then at that point I realized, oh, I think I like shaker furniture. So I got a book on it, uh, you know, made a table, a table in, in that style. Uh, and I don't remember exactly what it went from there, but, you know, just made some stuff. Um, just started catching the eye of, of people I knew, you know, and uh, started making some chairs. I got very interested in Danish furniture, mm-hmm. steam bent components. There's something about the chair that can captivate like no other piece of furniture. Right, yeah. And, and, and I, you know, I was just making this stuff in my garage, figuring out how to steam bend these components okay. out of kiln-dried wood. I didn't really understand, you know, what I was – but I was, it was successful. You know, I was able to do it. And, um, and you know, again, I you know, comments from friends and family. You know, I remember one day uh, this lady I knew says – she says, uh, you should be doing this for, for a living, just like with no hesitation. Like, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. You should be doing that. And that kind of stuck in my mind. <laughs> And I had mentioned to you that uh, earlier, my, my brother and I had a business together. was mm-hmm. was not in woodworking or f- furniture or anything. had some uh, had some difficulty during that economic downturn, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And like everybody else who had a business at the time, we battled for about three years to mm-hmm. keep the ship right. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, my business continued on. But at that point, I was having a second child, and I decided I was ready to do something that didn't consume so many hours of the okay. day, and I could spend more time with my family. 
So uh, I'd already had people buy some furniture off of me for okay. maybe 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 the last two years. I was selling some pieces on and off Etsy, believe it or not. Okay, and. Uh, and uh, made a few pieces for some friends, uh, for some local people, and I thought, you know, um, I, I'm getting real money from this. I, I could, I could make a living. So I just, I just dove off head first oh, into you. it. And uh, it's, it seems to be working out. Yeah. So I made, I made furniture full time for about um, two, two years or so uh, before I, before I dove off into doing hand tools uh, full time. So now, how what do you how much do you do in terms of furniture making now? Is it just for yourself? Do you do commissions? Still? So so yeah, I, I do do some commissions. Um, uh, what I've been able to get away with the last two years, while I've been making uh, hand planes and other hand tools full time, uh, I've been able to explore explore furniture pieces that I wanted to do. Okay, and that was one of my goals was um, making tools fit nicely into my daily work habits. Okay. Um, whereas furniture, you know, when you when you've done building a piece for a client you're almost tired of making furniture yeah, yeah, so I, so the pieces you want to explore it seems like they get set to the side so uh now what i do is if, if i'm good and i've get a, if i got ahead on some of my production um i'll try to take away a week or a couple of days and work on a particular piece that i've designed um uh or or an alternative of some other designer okay. you know and just replicate that piece yeah, so that's the furniture. Uh, but I still have some architects uh, that I had made some pieces for in the past. I've got some pieces coming up that I'll make from them. Some of the better people to work with because they respect your design, right? You know, right. and uh, if you say no, that's not a good design or that's not a good material choice, uh, you know, they they trust you, and so yeah. you get to build things that make sense. That's good. Yeah, that's I, important. I like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Important. All right. Well, let me move on to the second question. So, what's your favorite tool? Probably the draw knife. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like it because it's so flexible. You know, you can get it and roughs out material so quickly. You know, it almost doesn't matter what I'm doing. Uh, my tendency is often to grab, grab the draw knife, maybe because that's where I started with furniture making. I didn't have a lot of tools. So if I wanted to make a, um, if I wanted to make a leg, I didn't have a lathe when I started mm-hmm. making chairs. So I used the draw knife to shape okay. out the entire leg and then hopped over to the spoke shave. So maybe the spoke shave is my sep- second favorite okay. tool. No, I think it's yeah. a perfectly good way to make a leg. Yeah, and, and I don't have a block plane. And people always go, well, you don't have a block plane. I use a spoke shave for everything. That's just where I didn't okay. know. you know. So I jump her off a corner, pick up my spoke shave. So. Um, next question is, in your woodworking, who has influenced you the most? Maybe um, as far as outside influence of an individual that I haven't met would probably be the designer Hans Wegner. Okay. Uh, probably has had the biggest influence on maybe the drive of what uh, what I've wanted to make uh, and maybe even uh, the ideals of how I want to approach making a piece of furniture. Uh, but as far as individuals that uh, you know, I've had more of a direct influence on, like I said, Christian Bexvort, uh, you know, with the articles that he wrote, the simplicity. Uh, the approach, I, I really appreciate that. I think that connects with 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 my idea of doing woodworking. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like direct hands on, um, would have to be without a doubt uh, Peter Galbert and Curtis Buchanan. Okay, and I kind of see them a little bit as a pair uh, in some ways because uh, my first woodworking show I went to, I ran into Roland Johnson. Okay. And I'd mentioned to him I was very interested in making Windsor chairs, but I couldn't. I didn't know where to get the tools. So he said, well, call Curtis Buchanan. And I didn't know who the guy was, right? And uh, and it was nice because my very first interest in chairs were Windsor chairs okay. before I ever saw Danish pieces. Curtis certainly the person to talk to then. Right, yeah. So I called up Curtis, and Curtis says, well, Caleb, you know, it's going to be uh, probably two years before you can get into a class with me. 
I don't want you to wait that long. Why don't you call up this fellow I know, Peter Galbert. He's a really good teacher. So, uh, yeah, I called up Pete. And uh, once I realized after I talked to Pete, I had been stumbling upon his blog, okay. you know, here and there. Uh, and I had watched some of his YouTube videos on how to turn a Windsor chair leg. And um, I was like, oh, this guy. Yeah, I like this guy. Oh, absolutely. I would take a class from him. He's somebody I respected the way he, he instructed. And I okay. felt like I, I could learn a lot. So since then, uh, I've had a real close partnership uh, or a relationship with those guys. They've influenced me. I went and worked with uh, Curtis uh, after that uh, to do some chair plans for him. So I, I drew his first couple of chair uh, plans. Okay. Um, for him, you know, I'm not I'm not an illustrator by by profession, but uh, I could draw. So that that was fun. We we spent about two years working back and oh, forth doing that. Excellent. Yeah. That's great. Um, what has been your biggest stumbling block in woodworking? And if assuming you have overcome it, what could you have done to avoid it in the first place? I don't know if I would call it exactly a stumbling block, but um, maybe just. Uh, figuring out how to approach making a product that I want to make and people want to buy. Okay. You know, yeah, that's, that's so, critical. Yeah, that it is critical. And in realizing how to not trade off, um, you know, I didn't want to take something that I enjoyed doing and turning it into something I hated doing just to make a living. If I was going to do something I hated doing, I could go, I could go back to another job. Right. So, um, I felt like if I was going to do woodworking as a living, I, I had to be making something that I wanted to make and that people wanted to buy. So there was a measure of practicality in there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't just go out and say, well, I just want to make, uh, you know, let's just say, you know, whatever it is. I, I love making chopsticks out of, you know, exotic woods. Well, you know, I, I can't make a living off of that, right. you know, and I recognize right. that. So uh, I tried to pick pieces of furniture that I felt there was a need for. Okay. Um, and again, that I wanted to make. So, uh, some of that, you know, I, I, one of the first pieces I made was a Danish modern stool. Okay. Uh, ha, uh basically it was based off of Hans Wegner's CH 53, a little woven um, Should I just say, having listened to you through this whole Danish modern uh-huh. talk, the fact that all these pieces of furniture are letters followed by numbers and yeah. you know all their names yeah. is incredibly impressive. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you look at them long enough, you, you really well. You know, and there's a little bit of a code word there. Uh, like CH is uh, Carl Hansen. Okay. You know, so he, it was it was in, uh, 53 was the 53rd design that he made for for uh, Carl Hansen and Son to produce. Yeah. Uh, so like if it's AT, it's it's uh, you know Andreas Tucker or whatever you know. And if it went on to another manufacturer, they would keep the same number, but they would change the letters. Okay. Yeah. So like uh, PP three hundred three would be would have been the same thing as the AT three hundred three table. Anyway, so yeah, you kind of get used to seeing these things, and they stick in your mind. Um, but yeah, so so I, I made this little stool, and and I and I and I tried to do it a small production style, and okay. I've I've really so my my thought process was is I I planned out. I said, well, okay. To make to make this living, I need to make this amount of money, mm-hmm. and so what can I do that would, uh, you know, equal that amount? And how much would I have to produce? And I was all, I'd already been in business for you know eight years on my own, right. you know, self employed. Right. So so I knew you had to have a, a plan for it. So I might say that was the obstacle I was able to overcome. Those not screw. <laughs> that okay. was the um, obstacle I was you know that was difficult, but I was able to jump into, and. Um, 
I also realized that as much as I wanted to make furniture affordable, um, you know, I couldn't compete with Ikea. No. I couldn't compete with these, uh, with these other, uh, you know, big manufacturers. So that's, that's some, you know, accepting that I'm going to have to charge a price that's higher than, than yeah. something I'm personally comfortable with. Um, but what I recognize is the value is there, and I know other people would recognize that value. So I had to trust that. Yeah, and you have to believe in that. I mean, any, yeah. any handmade furniture, it'd be wonderful if – Average people could afford it, but the right. fact of the matter is, it is so. It requires so much skill right. and so much time that, as expensive as people as pieces are, I think most people are underpricing themselves. And it, it's a tremendous value when you really consider the skill and time that was involved in making that piece. Yeah, you know, in in, in the slideshow we did, it really what we're doing is is more along the lines of what arts the arts and crafts movement started out with in the UK. And, uh, you know, they, they realized that it was an expensive process. You could make s- design similar to it in a manufactured uh, uh, setting, but that's not, that's not where we're at, right. you know. Right. And um, so, and, and, and that model, for the most part, uh, you know, failed trying yeah. to put it in a manufactured setting. So, yeah, and, and we don't, we also don't live in a society where, you know, I can live off a dollar a day. Right. You right. know, so that's the reality. If it's yeah. being made in another country where, people are being paid that of course it's going to be cheaper yeah 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 but i appreciate and and that's the other thing too building relationships with clients um you know that's something i've learned is 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 part of the process and um you know they buy a lot from people who they appreciate what they're doing the effort they're putting into it and uh you know i think we're like the old italian artist you know they want to support that work and craft yeah they they need to know and understand the artist but i think the next class is about to begin so let's wrap this up the very last question is how has the internet influenced your work uh tremendously i would have never been exposed to you know like danish modern furniture or or a lot of these other uh pieces i would have never been exposed to really windsor chairs you know i was living in texas there's not much furniture history there that's readily accessible um and so yeah the internet has been huge in, Great, in that regard before i let you go where can people find out more about you online uh you can go to uh, caleb james maker dot com. Uh, that's my website, calebjamesmaker.com. Well, excellent, Caleb. Thank you so much for, for talking with us. I yeah, I enjoyed it. it. Thanks. I'm here with Bill Rainford, uh, another attendee who's, uh, we just took a class on Danish Modern, got into a delightful conversation about Caleb's stuff. So, Bill, it's been a pleasure to meet you. And uh, if we could, let me jump right into our five questions. Sure. So let me ask question number one is, how did you get into woodworking? I, I got into it working with my dad and my grandfather, so kind of projects around the house. Uh, we finished a basement, built a deck, that sort of thing. And then as an adult, uh, we had a condo when we lived out in Seattle, and I kept doing more and more projects. So I started off doing kind of that, you know, this whole house, Yankee Workshop type of more power tool-oriented woodworking, and started to get into, well, I want to learn how to do dovetails, and learn doing it with a router, but just didn't feel right, so I wanted to get into hand tools. And my wife and I, when we moved back to Boston, I'd heard about the North Pennant Street School, which okay. teaches a lot of traditional yep. woodworking. And I started taking uh, woodworking workshops there in cabinet and furniture making. Okay. Not fully enrolled in the, in the but just taking workshops? Workshops to start, yeah. Okay. And then I, I was in actually a really bad accident on the subway, on the red line. Ooh. And I uh, wound up getting basically crushed in the doors, a whole long story with that. But um, I wound up being a week stay in the hospital, the first time ever having that kind of thing or like near-death experience. And right. as I lay there in, in the hospital bed, was I happy with my life? But not really. And, and I'm an engineer by trade in terms of okay. software engineering. And really wanted to be more at the woodworking. And that was kind of the tipping point for me to decide to go to the school full time. Oh, okay. And so because I had taken so many cabinet furniture making classes, I wanted to branch out and learn other things. Um, and I've always appreciated timber frame joinery and that sort of thing. And so I went through the full time preservation carpentry program. 
And as a result of that, you know, it's a two-year program. The first year, very similar to the cabinet furniture making mm-hmm. in terms of learning hand skills, cutting dovetails, that sort of thing. But then also learning traditional joiner's work. So window sash, doors, okay. timber framing, roofing, siding, sheathing, that type of stuff. Um, really great experience. And so that's kind of how I kept going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Okay. Right? Going, and I'll have like a full cabinet shop with power tools, been doing more and more handwork and stuff and carving right. and that sort of thing. It's been a really rewarding experience to kind of work with your hands. And, oh, I, I agree. I agree. There's nothing better than turning around at the end of the day and seeing what you made. Right. And, and for me, yeah, as a software engineer, everything you do, if I die tomorrow, is obsolete in a couple of years. But the fact that a piece of furniture or, or a timber frame building might last 100 years or more, it's a little bit of vanity to it, but it's kind of neat to make something lasting and tangible. There's something to be said for legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let me get into question two. Is what's your favorite tool? Huh. That's, that's a tougher question. Um, <laughs> probably my, my go-to tool I use most often is a, a Lee Nielsen five and a half jack plane, and that's kind okay. of my jack of all trades, where it functions almost like a jointer and do quite a bit of smoothing with it. And usually I have uh, two irons, one with the camber to it, and okay. one that's just straight across that I use for for jointing boards. Okay. In your woodworking, who has influenced you the most? Um, Outside of immediate family, I'd or, say. Or you, or, immediate family's fine. Whoever's, when you think of this person, is this is why I'm doing it? Who's that person? Um, I was actually really inspired by Tay Freed. I'd okay. grown up, uh, my dad had a lot of the old fine woodworking books and magazines and started reading that. Um, as an adult, then had read through the three-volume set that he wrote, and both went from uh, hand tools and, and a mixture of power and, and, and hand-oriented work uh, into furniture design. And so mm-hmm. he kind of has uh, Danish modern or Danish American designs, and I kind of like those clean looks, and uh, had some family members that had a lot of those type of pieces in the house. So okay. it's kind of neat to replicate something that I didn't see in stores and kind of have that, uh, you know, Ex- express joinery and, and kind of beautiful designs and some you know more natural edge type things. Right. And I kind of like that better than the plastic fantastic stuff that was kind of big in the you know seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Okay. What has been your biggest stumbling block in your woodworking, and if you've if you've overcome it, how did you do that? Um, for for me, I think it was I, I felt like there was some mystique around hand tool working. Right. There's okay. this fine art to sharpening um, that the old timers, you know, they were just working with their bodies so much more. And, and what to me took a while, but was kind of a revelation, was that these craftsmen had a more intimate knowledge with wood, and and they knew its strengths, knew its weaknesses. You know, they could cleave things off quickly. They could use a draw knife to shape things up. They can get stuff cut off, you know, very quickly and, and accurately. And that's been the biggest change. Where while I had spend a lot of time using power tools i use them less and less if, especially if it's a one-off often i'll dovetail it um you know square things up with a saw and, and i found that that's both been uh faster easier and kind of more rewarding in terms of results and, and okay. for exercise as well okay um last question is how has the internet influenced your woodworking um quite a bit a few fewfold both for for sharing information like to me um, because woodworking is my avocation, and it's a it's a labor of love, so I tend to like to share it. Mm-hmm. I, I teach uh, woodworking classes at different uh, Votech and, and uh, historic sites. Okay. Um, but the other piece has been learning, and so you find different kind of kindred spirits. Where if you're mm-hmm. kind of you know, relegated to just who are locals, you may not find the same interest. Right. But it's been really great to meet people from around the country, around the world, to have you know sharing different bits or finding different pieces. Like I had done a lot of work uh, researching Sloyd, which was a Swedish system of uh, craft and and and, and Votech teaching, and that okay. was the basis of what North Bennett Street School used as well. Oh, okay. So you start with basically a Sloyd knife and a piece of wood, and learn grain direction, and and, and start building your skills from there, having more and more complex joinery and tools as you mm-hmm. tell but you're starting off with a model and creating a tangible thing and so um as, as you're able to apply that to other tasks you can help share that more readily right and so right. i'd research different benches and cabinets built on that system and through the internet people have gone hey i found it and can get you know measurements of it share it you know, okay. and replicate some of those well, that's so that's great. kind of a fun experience that's great 
Well, we've got a bonus question for some of the people here, so let me ask you, what brings, well, not what brings you, I know what brings you to the conference, but how are you finding the conference? Oh, um, it's, been, it's my first time going, so I've okay. watched a lot of times, and, and uh, just due to family obligations, having young kids and stuff, hadn't made it out here before, but uh, really enjoying seeing everybody. It's been nice to see a lot of folks that I knew online, but uh, not in person and right. stuff, and uh, you know, it's great to have a face to go with the name and stuff, and kind of have uh, more of a relationship, you know, be able to something to follow up with. Well, excellent. I'll second all that. Um, so, thank you for, very much for talking with me. Before I let you go, where can people find out more about you online? Sure. Uh, I've got a blog. It's called RainfordRestorations.com. And so, uh, R-A-I-N-F-O-R-D, uh, Restorations.com. And, and uh, I'm happy to chat with folks who have comments or are looking to see new things covered. Well, that's great, Bill. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you very much. We're here now with Tony Rouleau of Hillview Metalworks. Is that it? Hill- Hillview Hill- Wooden Metal. Hillview Wooden Metal. Not yeah. metal and wood. I'm sorry. Uh, would it, well, the wood should come first, so I'm going to yes. agree with that. Um, so I stole Tony out of the marketplace, and we're going to go through the five questions. So, Tony, how did you get into woodworking? Um, I was probably about 13. And, and you're had, now, what, about 15? No, yeah, I, I look it. Uh, I'm about 38 now. So uh, It's a rough year. Yeah. Uh, we, had a, we had a very good shop class in school, and my father also has for the past 45 years has worked for a hardware store and I was always around tools and I showed an interest and he bought me a scroll saw one year or my th- was the Christmas of my 13th birthday okay. and that's how I started and it's just kind of snowballed from there so you've been doing it for a long time yes excellent um, what's your favorite tool uh, it's probably my uh, the Rubo that I built Okay. Because uh, for years I would hold a board under my arm and I'd take a block <laughs> plane and I'd swear and finally I bit the bullet and I took Mark's guild build for okay. the Rubo yep. and it was it was fantastic and and I'm I I I'm a machinist as full time so I made basically made ripped off <laughs> benchcraft its <laughs> design and I made my yeah. own leg vice and tail vice from from just pictures and stuff like right. that. Right. So okay, well that's excellent. I'd like I'd love to see it someday. Yeah, sure. If I ever make it back upstate, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll check it out. Um, in your woodworking, who has influenced you the most? Probably my father and my grandfather. Um, my grandfather was a dairy farmer, but he came from that Depression era. You know that you did everything yourself. So he really didn't. I mean, you know he he was very utilitarian. So it, there was no masterpieces. He was a fan of the hot glue gun, but his work ethic and stuff like that, you know. So he was the kind of guy where something went wrong in the farm, you needed something, you'd go out, you'd fix it yourself, you'd make it yourself. You exactly. did what you had to do to keep things going. Exactly, yeah. The only time I would see somebody come in is if he needed a piece of equipment welded or something like that. Oh, okay, okay. You know. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not a metal worker by any imagination, So, but in my head, those kinds of people know how to weld because that seems rather yeah. important for that kind of equipment, no? But but 30 years ago, you you didn't have the 110 oh, and the, okay. you know, it was, yep. it was kind of a specialized it, equipment. I can understand that. Yeah. Okay. Um, what has been your biggest stumbling block in your woodworking? And assuming that you've overcome it, how do you do that and how could other people avoid it? It'd probably be my woodworking ADD. The fact that, especially with social media now, you see so many things mm. and you just want to do so much stuff and you have so little time. 
and it's I don't know if I if I'll ever <laughs> overcome it, but it's it's just trying to prioritize and you know there's a lot of shiny objects out there exactly, and you push all the house projects off and you <laughs> deal with that. And <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that I was talking to my wife just before, and the big uh, entertainment cabinet that I've started and is now taking up my entire shop. The timber strand? Yeah, yeah. it's it's apparently on hold because when I get home, I have to rip apart a pantry and redo that. So oh, lovely. I understand how those house projects go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the kitchen has been being rebuilt for about a year and a half, so there's been a lot of patience. Mm. She's a wonderful woman for being so patient, but <laughs> there's been ultimatums made periodically. Yeah, yeah so. you may want to get around to finishing that. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, uh, how has the internet influenced your woodworking? Just the uh, the community, just if for here, for example, the mm. fact that I can meet you and I can meet, uh, you know, Jay Bates and Mark Spagnolo and Chris Schwarz, you know, I can come up to them and just the, the, the vast amount of information. Like when I built my Rubeau, I didn't have $1,000 for Maple. Mm-hmm. And I read a blog from Chris Schwarz about how just, you know, you can use just two by 12s from the home store because they're their quarter sawn or for softwood it's i think it's there's a different name yeah. for it. but i was able to build a very substantial very large you know heavy bench for a quarter of the cost right right you know and i'm sure it's it's a bench with just with equally nice hardware since you were able to machine it yeah. yourself and and, and and maybe someday you know if i have the funds i will decide to replace that but for the time being so, it's Knowing that you live in New York, I know you can't just go down to the home center and get Southern Yellow Pine. So did you make exactly. it out of Doug Fir? What did it's you use? Fir, it's Doug yeah. Fir, okay. That's another thing is I get jealous of the guys down south that just go into Lowe's or Home Depot and have the Yellow Pine. The only Yellow Pine I've ever seen in the home stores up by us is Stair Treads. Okay. Just like... It's, it's a little weird, but I will tell you, if you ever buy OSHA-approved scaffold planks... Oh, OSHA planks, they're, yeah. They're Southern Yellow Pine, but they're also a defined length and width. They only come in one size, mm-hmm. and they have metal pins through the ends to prevent checking. Oh, sure. So you got to cut the ends off. It's it's not the most usable or cost-efficient lumber, but it is Southern Yellow Pine. Oh, okay. Yeah. I actually I, have two in my attic waiting to be made into something. The only OSHA planks I've ever seen are the laminated ones. Like okay. For construction, I think. I you know I know there's different kinds, but... The solid wood ones are Southern Yellow. Okay. Nice. Oh, but, um, for a bonus question that we're trying to ask a lot of people here is... Beyond just saying the event, what brought you here, and how are you enjoying woodworking in America? Um, the, the, I'm part of, a, and you are too, the part of a, a group called I Like to Make Stuff in Facebook, and it's a community, and it's a very tight-knit group, group of guys, and everybody's very positive in the fact that I can meet a lot of faces and names, and it was it was the networking really, okay. and, and the community that brought me here, and, and the, the you know the, the marketplace and the classes are a bonus to it, but that ultimately is what brought me. And how, how are you enjoying the conference? It's great. It's it's been fantastic. Good, so. good. Well, thank you very much for yeah, coming on. And you. before I let you go, one last thing: yeah. where can people find out more about you online? Um, the the main outlet is uh, Instagram. Okay. Hillview underscore wm. He'll view wood and metal. Yes. All right. So send some people there. Thank you.